when you're laying there and, and you have a, a headache that's pounding and your head is hurting so bad that you could barely see and you're laying on the floor just waiting for your pain to go away that the people that you were scared to tell that you were, were injured or to, to mention anything about they're not going to be nowhere to be found and you're going to be the one that's ha that has to deal with those effects so in any injury do what's best for you because nobody knows your body how you know your body and if if they brought you there to compete on their team then they should never question the man that you are because they brought you there so they have to screen you for integrity and stuff like that so don't think it's a, a fault to your integrity by telling somebody that you're injured because i'm telling you from speaking from experience that if you're hurt and you have a chance to say something about it there's nobody going to be there to protect you or to try to try to help you get through the things you're getting through hey how you guys doing this is khalil glaude former linebacker for Rutgers university as well as the dallas cowboys and tampa Bay buccaneers and you're listening to heads and tails podcast Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. This week I'm bringing you Khalil Glaude. He's a Rutgers football or former Rutgers football linebacker, and that's where I know Khalil from. Uh, he, he was playing there when I was a student manager there, and he also spent some time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. But most recently he's been struggling with a pretty bad case of post-concussion post syndrome for the past two years. Um, so we're going to start off with that last concussion that's kind of led him to where he is right now and talk about some of the struggles that he's uh, currently facing. So Khalil, can you kind of take us through like how the concussion happened and like what was the immediate like after effect of that that uh, concussion? The the actual hit, uh, I can't say that I, I really remember, but not that I, I lost, I guess, uh, consciousness or something like that. But the the thing I remember is coming back to the sideline and, and looking at uh, uh, the iPad or the surface and and watching plays and the linebacker coach was asking, how come the front is set wrong? Why is it set wrong? Why'd you set it here? And I'm looking at the plays, and I just I don't remember where I was setting the front at as I watched the plays because at that time you could actually watch the plays that was happening on the field. It wasn't like I was out there running uh, like a chick with my head cut off. I was actually in the game. I probably made a tackle or two uh, within the time that I didn't remember. And uh, before we got on, before we went back, I just sat there for a couple of minutes and just really trying to think about what was happening on the play. And an older linebacker on the team came and he asked me, he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. He said, I think I'm going to have the doctor take a look at you. I said, no, don't do that. And then uh, they got they called for punt team. I was playing special teams as well too. I went back out there for punt team. I went on the field. I made a tackle. And as soon as I came off the field, I remember seeing this, the linebacker that asked me was I fine standing there with the doctors and the trainer. And they evaluated me. And through the evaluation, they found out that I was suffered a concussion and they took me out of the game. So this linebacker, he was, like, definitely looking out for you, it seems like, right? Yeah. Um, what did he see that made him concerned, I guess? Maybe I had confusion on my face. And maybe he looked at me and was just wondering, uh, like, how come I couldn't answer the question right away? And right. maybe he could have experienced a concussion before, too, for him to look at me and be able to tell that I was going through something. Right. And so uh, I didn't get a chance to thank him for that, but I, I think about it, and I, I, I do thank him for that because if, if that didn't happen, no, t no telling what could have happened to me. For sure, yeah. Um, so 
do you did you see the play that caused the con- like the concussion? Like, was it you making a tackle? Was it a helmet to helmet hit? Were you like crack blocked? What uh, what was it? That's what's so so hard. I can't remember exactly what quarter it was in, but I can't from the the footage that I seen. I didn't get a chance to watch the entire game, but it's possible that that play could have happened early inside of the game that that put me to that point, and I could have just been taking uh small hits that. Uh, could have just pushed me over the top throughout the whole game. And right. so – and that's the thing about concussion, I guess. You don't know, like, exactly – it doesn't take a, a, a knockout shot, shot or something to just uh, – to, to change your life, basically, or to, to put you inside that, I guess, the, the state of being concussed. And so I look at the at the film from the plays that I've seen. There's a couple shots on it that I look like that I look and I see, okay, that could have been it. But I can't pinpoint it because I didn't come out the game right away, right. and I don't remember when I stopped forgetting the things that I were do- that I was doing. Right. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, it's almost like having a drunk person like remember when they. I don't know the, yeah. the drink that set them over the edge, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I mean, I have a similar, like, similar to my story too. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I, I had a concussion from the week before, before I had my second impact syndrome. And, like, I actually know the play that it happened on, but mm-hmm. the symptoms didn't really start until, like, the next day. So, yeah. like, it could have been anything. Yeah. Um, so, I, I know what you mean on that one. Mm-hmm. But since now, I mean, you're sitting here across from me and you got sunglasses on. And I know I read that your, your sensitivity to light is something that you've really been struggling with. So, after this concussion, like, what was the sim- what were the symptoms like immediately after? Uh, immediately the, the day of the concussion, I just remember – Whatever it was, I felt the test that they uh, that they give that they gave me, and so I know I felt nauseous at the time. I felt like I had to throw up, uh, and I guess and other little minor things. But the, the symptoms really didn't kick in until probably the next day. The next day, I woke up feeling extra nauseous. Uh, every bit of movement just felt like it, I was floating inside of my head. Uh, I had extremely bad headaches, sensitivity to light, noise, and and everything. I I literally was inside the room after the concussion. Uh, rather than seeing the doctors and stuff they, they required me to do, but I was inside my hotel room inside the dark for at least a couple of weeks. And did the symptoms, like, ever get any better throughout that time? or Throughout that time, really, no. Other than uh, I had a real hard time with, with, with driving and, and being inside vehicles. Because uh, of the motion? Or? Yeah, because of, of, of the motion. It'll make me feel real nauseous, and every time we'll stop, I feel like I'll stop, but my brain will keep moving. And I remember uh, telling one of the doctors, like, I feel like I could feel my brain. And they looked at me and said, well, that's impossible. You can't feel your brain. And so, I mean, I don't think if you ever, if you haven't been through a concussion, it's it's kind of hard for somebody, I guess, to sympathize with the symptoms that you're feeling because it seems like it's unreal. And I guess medically you can't feel your brain. But to me, in going through what I've been through, I feel like I could feel my brain inside of my head. Trust me, dude. When I had my concussion that led to my second impact syndrome so like i had a terrible headache all week and it literally felt like my brain was like bouncing inside of my head like yeah. i know exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. like your your brain does have feeling when it, yeah. it's damaged you know to that degree um so I, I feel you on that one but at the same time like you know as a, a fringe linebacker right so were you concerned about trying to get back on the field again and kind of like losing your yeah, spot or I mean, what absolutely because just going into the situation that I had with the Cowboys, I was with the Buccaneers for the two previous years, one active year and one on the practice squad. And uh, I got called to come on the team in camp. And so uh, I felt like I was having a decent camp. I made it to the 
the point where I'll find out if I made the roster or not to all the way to the to the end of the game without being in OTAs or off season training or anything. I was able to make it through to that point and I was doing pretty well. And so uh just being on the fringe I think will have something to do with with me telling him I did not wanna stop playing or even if I could have possibly been hurt before or anything, why or a guy would want to reject the feeling of anything. If you have a sprained ankle and you know that you're on the fringe, you're not going to go tell the trainer you have a sprained ankle. Or if you do, you're going to go tell them, but you're still going to try to find a way to push through it. And so a lot of that, I guess, could have a, a impact, like I guess we can get into later, about what will make the game more safe for a player. Yeah, and, we can get into it. Go yeah, for it. And I think it will probably be more of just, just information. And just, uh, I guess, education on the simple fact that something like this can happen to somebody that you would never think. And not to say I'm not crippled or nothing right now. I have things that bother me every single day. I go to uh, therapy just about every single day. My life has changed, but I can still move around. I drive myself like I came here. I do things. But playing a high collision sport, I think that the best thing that you can do is educate somebody to uh to understand the implications that could come after they suffer uh a concussion or or anything and other than that i think the uh after somebody is concussed i think uh the tests that they should run on you to evaluate you should be a lot more i guess in depth like when you come off the field with a concussion usually they'll come ask you uh what quarter is it um where are you at what's your last name can you say the months backwards but in all actuality, the more you read on concussion, you can, you can always answer those questions right. And if you answer those questions right, you're gonna get thrown back inside the field, even if you want if you want to or if you don't want to. Right. And so I think it has to be more in depth with I guess the research has come out and see that a, a concussion is not a knockout blow. You don't have to lose your memory. You don't have to get up feeling dizzy or woozy. A concussion can be the the uh, the time you hit somebody and you feel like you've seen stars a little bit and you was always taught to play through that, or sometimes people brag about it, like, "Whoa, I I, I seen some stars that that hit right there," or just a little feeling of getting headaches probably the day after practice or after a game or something. And that's a lot of stuff that guys just don't know. And I know that uh, I guess playing at a, a higher level, like in the NFL, when money's a a big thing, where you want to try to make money, so you would like to not tell nobody about an injury because you would like to try to make the team. And if you're told about a concussion that you have a concussion, it's a chance that you won't be on the team anymore, though cut you or however the, it, it can be played out. So I guess with safety, I'm not sure they come out with a new helmet or something, but your brain is going to move if you get hit. So regardless, it, it, yeah. Regardless. So I guess it's just about informing the people, uh, kids and players and stuff like that, so they could really pro uh, make the decision to protect themselves. I know in that Vice Sports article, the idea of like more guaranteed money yeah. uh, for, for guys. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Not just for uh, a concussion, but 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 any injury. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the stipulation with uh, say if a guy on practice squad or something gets hurt. And if you're not in the NFL, you kind of don't see the guys that's on practice squad. But those are the people that's out there practicing just as hard as everybody else, and maybe even a little bit harder at practice because they're they're asked to do so many things every single period. And you're fighting to survive and you, out and there. And you're yeah. fighting to survive. If you get hurt inside one of those situations. You you're gonna get sit home with your paycheck that you that you've been getting, or whatever, and I would think that 
I believe, I don't know if it could be money, if it's money, and that's a, a whole nother talk of, I think that people in the NFL should find a way to get them some guaranteed money if, you, if you're on the team. But as far as just medical help, more medical help will be more beneficial to a player that's like inside of my situation. So guys who are not no longer in the league. Yeah, that are not no longer in the league. And that, that doesn't have a big name. If you have a, a bigger name, of course you're going to get taken care of way different than you are about somebody who can just be thrown under the bus and forgotten about. Why do you think that is? I think it's just uh, the way the world works. Like their platform is bigger. So like if they say something against the NFL, it would have a bigger detriment to the brand or whatever? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's so many stories. It's like uh, – not to name a specific team, but even like one of my friends I was playing, he uh, not it's several cases like this. He suffered a concussion, and so when he suffered a concussion, the team told him they said, um, "All right, so how about we sign this waiver? Because every time you get cut, you have to sign a waiver to say you passed the physical with your trainers, so they so they can release you. Sign this and, waiver and not help you. It not help you." Sign this waiver to say that you're healthy, and we promise we'll uh, sign you back to the practice squad. And and he had a concussion, and he ended up sitting out a whole year for that concussion. And so he came to me, told me, that they said it, he called me, and I'm like, yo, no way sign that, that waiver. I said, what sense does that make? I said, how could they promise you that they could sign you back to the practice squad? And this was during camp when they still have to cut, make one more cut, and they still have to uh, – uh, then after deciding, I'm not going to sign you back to the practice squad. And so he took my advice or whatever, and he ended up not signing the thing, but he ended up not being medically cleared for a whole year after that. And if he would have did that, he would have been on himself because while he was off, it wasn't like he was just sitting on his butt. He was right. going to the doctors every day getting treatment trying to get better. And they were pressuring him to do that. And they, they pressured him to do it. Damn, that's like – that's messed up. So – how did how has it felt like since you so I guess did you have that same option like were you oh no they they didn't uh, I was never that didn't happen to me inside of my my situation oh I went through other small things but nothing like like you didn't sign a waiver yeah right? I didn't have to sign I didn't sign they 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 offered me uh, treatment and stuff like that while I was out there in Dallas and they tried to I guess do whatever they could do to try to help me get better and it just didn't help or and it didn't help. And for whatever reason why I didn't, I'm not sure. So then what was, like, the transition to, like, you're no longer getting help from the Cowboys So and now you're, like, on your own? When I was there, uh, they sent me to, like, a, the most help that I got while I was there after, I guess, maybe a month of just sitting and not really receiving any type of treatment at all, just, I guess, because of, I guess, inside, uh, well, some doctors will say the best thing for a concussion to do is the rest or something like that. And yeah, I've heard that all the time, yeah. And so most of the time when I was out there, before they sent me to a, a, a center that specifically treated, uh, like, neural, I guess neural disabilities or something like that, I really was just sitting there really not doing anything. They you know, asked me to walk on the treadmill or try to run and see if I can do it. None of it was working out for me. It was hard for me to do. And so they sent me to a, a place called Center for Neural Skills and. There uh, went under a whole bunch of like different evaluations and received like uh, vestibular therapy, occupational therapy, vision therapy, and uh, a couple other things there. And that was it was good. I think I made some progress in some of the things that I was doing there. But the only problem with this whole situation is even if I'm making little progress and maybe I'm able to look at a target and shake my head a little bit longer, but it's not affecting my regular life. It's not uh, applying. It's not translating yeah, it's over not. to like your. Yeah, yeah to it's not like my functional. everyday living. Yeah. Yes. 
is it because like it's like a temporary fix and then like for five minutes after your session you'll feel better and then it'll go back to how it was? Uh, or? Actually, like inside of my therapies, it's, I've never been able just to go through a therapy without taking a break inside of vision therapy. Because of headaches? Yeah, because of increased headaches and, and uh, 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 like a floaty sensation that I get from doing too much or from straining or from just doing too much of the same same activity. And so I think I've gotten better because I told you I get nauseous, but it's just if I'm doing certain things. But at the time, I was always nauseous and felt like I had to throw up. I always felt super dizzy and things like that. And now some of those symptoms, other than my headaches that persist every day, sensitivity to noise and light, there's things that only will other symptoms only come if I guess they're provoked. Okay. Right. I see what you're saying. Like there's certain triggers. Yes. So what are your what are your triggers? It's just yeah, just noise. Like driving bothers me. I always get a little nauseous, and I get uh, an increased headache from driving. No matter where I go, if it's driving five minutes or or two minutes, and that could be probably just from uh uh just from visual things. Everything is moving around you and right. catching things in your vision. Other thing like loud, unexpected noises. Uh, too much light, especially if it's like directly like shined on me or inside of my face. Uh can't watch tv for too long i can't work out for too long uh it's all little things like that i can't right so so how has this affected you like mentally and emotionally going from being an nfl linebacker to being like pretty limited as to like what you can do from a physical activity standpoint you know you go from like your peak you know like Mm -hmm. physical activity level to being hindered and debilitated when you try to do these kinds of things that you used to be able to do easily well mentally it's a it's a struggle and some days i wake up and i feel like i guess more motivated to do things than others and because of that and i've gone through like uh have like counseling and stuff like that where i've worked with people to try to like control like my emotions and try to transition from this but uh i haven't as far as like mentally just probably known i'm not going to play football again it hasn't hit me as much until the past couple of days just now because the whole time I'm very like uh been optimistic about maybe I'll get a chance to play and to be real of how the, the football game goes and where I was at while I was playing it's a good chance that I probably wouldn't have got a chance to play again like anyway concussion or, or, or not, not yeah. or, or not but however I had the opportunity to, to try and that's the hardest thing for me to deal with right now is that I'm probably not gonna have the opportunity to to try to play again right? because I'm unable to do the things that that's going to be required of me to, to get to that point. And so up until now, I've been probably just trying to like uh, the preseason has been on. I have a lot of friends that still play football and stuff like that. And it's been hard for me to watch and not be envious or jealous or whatever, yeah, but just yeah. to look and say, damn, I wish that I could, I could, could play football. The thing that I've been doing for basically my whole life and just, uh, Knowing I'm probably not going to play again and knowing just because of the injury or whatever, it is a little, like, heartbreaking. But I know, like, like we talked about I have a son, I have a wife. So there's things that I can't get too down on myself because I have a family that's dependent on me to, to be the man that, I suppo- that I'm supposed to be to them. So okay. that's so, what, what helps, I guess, what's helping me get through this time right now. Okay, it's, it's kind of redirecting the focus from thinking about not being able to play football anymore to – your family. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, I know, like, I, the whole reason why I started this podcast was 
partially because of like athletes who are feeling the same way that you feel. Like mm-hmm. when you turn on the TV and you see all your friends at training camp and you were wishing that you were there and like how long did you play football for? Like when did you start playing? Uh sixth grade. Sixth grade. So yeah. how many years was that? Like from start to when About you had your thirteen concussion? years maybe. Yeah, it's a big yeah. chunk of your life, right? Yeah. You're what, twenty six right yeah, now? Twenty six. So Half your life you played football, and then all of a sudden, like, you don't have it anymore. So, like, all you think that you are is a football player. And then all of a sudden, you wake up one morning, you play a game, and then you're done. Like, that's it. It wasn't like, you know, you retired after a 12-year NFL career or it was, like, senior day at Rutgers. Like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, you know, it was just taken away from you, and it's hard. Yeah. So, I think it's cool that you've redirected your focus to your family to kind of distract you from those, like, negative thoughts that really tormented me for, like, six, seven years yeah. um, trying to figure it out. Like, when I was with you guys at Rutgers, like, mm-hmm. the whole time I was trying to, like, hang on to any little bit of football identity I still had left, mm-hmm. whether that was, you know, cleaning up after you guys after yeah. a game with your dirty clothes or, you know, helping out. Coach Hewitt uh, with uh, with the running backs at practice, like to me, that was helped fill that void for a little bit longer. But eventually, yeah. that ended too. So, yeah. um, all right, enough of that. But thinking back through your career, like how many times do you think you've had concussions that you just kind of brushed them off and just happened to not have these debilitating symptoms afterwards? I think it's possible to say probably more than than I could count. Yeah, maybe. I guess. And I said it before, I don't think, I'm sure it's not, I know for a fact, like I said, I told uh, the reporter before, I have friends that tell me that I speak to, they ask me how am I doing and stuff like that, and they uh, wonder, they're concerned about me that's playing right now, and I talk to them about some of the things they go through, and like one of them said, like, oh, I'm going to be effed up after this, and I know, I look at somebody and I can tell that, so to, to say that, there's so many, I'm sure, concussions that's happened every single – more than, than, than anybody can imagine it's happening on the field all the time. And just because it's not the big knockout blows, you'll never know anything about it. Yeah. And so uh, they say anytime you see stars, if you get up, you have any small symptom, I guess, from it, then it's possible that you had a concussion. And to say how many times I've seen stars, I, I probably – I don't know. Right. I mean, there's the time I went back into the uh, – uh, spoke to one of the trainers after my concussion with, with the doctor, and I told him, I said, I'm not sure about when exactly this happened. I said, but however, I said, there's been times I got up before and I feel like i seen stars and told me, it was like, yeah, that's just a part of football. And this is at the highest level somebody told me that. Right. And I looked at him, I said, all right. I said, well, I spoke to one of the older guys on the team, and he told me that's not normal because that shit doesn't happen to him. Right. I said, oh, well, we're just trying to – we're concerned about you. And, okay, you are concerned about me, but there's still, uh, 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 I guess, like a, a sensitive area where they're, they're still inside of denial. If somebody could look at you and say that's just a part of football, it's not a part of football. I mean, it is it is a part of football, but, however, there's consequences from, I guess, that inside of football. Yeah. And so just to say, I'm not sure how many concussions I could have. I haven't had anything that made me sit out other than in college. I have, I've suffered a concussion before that I sat out, but it was in, in the off season. And it wasn't for that long. But other than, like, anything serious to sit out, uh, only this past time that, that I've uh, I've had the concussion. But, however, I could have had more concussions than, than I can count. Right. So what's, like, the risk-reward benefit? Like, these guys obviously are vocal about knowing, like, what they're doing to themselves. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, 
I think What's that? I mean, you're even you're even thinking about like if you had the opportunity, like you're you would try to go out there again, like knowing what you've gone through for the last two years. Yeah. So what's like the risk reward benefit? Like, is it still worth it? You think you train so hard, you work so hard, uh, your adrenaline's pumping, your testosterone, everything is just telling you that you're like unstoppable. And so I think the you never think that it can probably get worse than what it is that you're feeling. So you don't. Even though somebody is, is telling the same thing with somebody telling athletes like, Don't spend all your money, you're gonna go broke and you look at him like, I'm never gonna go broke or whatever and that's why so many people still end up being broke. Uh somebody looks at you and says, Uh, if you have these symptoms, maybe you should report it because later down the line you're 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 gonna lose your memory, you're gonna act different towards your family, you might lose your you, you might go crazy. Oh, that and, won't be me, yeah. Yeah, that won't be me. And so I think that's what most of the problem is. You think that it, it won't be you and all actuality it will be you and as far as me like obviously i know i can't play right now but just like you it's always something inside me that that wants to play so bad because it's thinking about life i don't think there's anything that's going to get me to that point of one of the feeling of, of competition uh, other than football or, or playing a sport and that's the hardest thing that when i think like I remember I was asking my wife i said what motivates uh not to be for a, a regular person to get up every single day to go to work uh is it just is it money? I mean, of, of course it can't be money, but I don't think money's gonna make you want to be the best that you want to be. It's something inside you, a, a competitive spirit that you you may be born with or not, and that's the hardest thing. I guess maybe the transition is find something that could fill that void that could make me want to work as hard as I did while playing football and to compete. I guess without making somebody feel uncomfortable and thinking about where could I go into inside life after football that can get me to that point of. I guess a feeling of competition, a feeling of the adrenaline of beating somebody. Of, I guess you you understand. Exactly I know exactly what you're talking about. Hey, like the feeling of asserting dominance over people. Like, there's only so many places in the world where you can do that and like not get put in jail for it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I completely hear what you're saying. I think it's going to be hard uh, for me to to find something that's going to give me that that feeling that that football has given me my entire life. But uh, I think if it's anything that's going to give that to me, it's going to be have to be something probably pertaining football because the the thing I I grew up with my my entire life, I worked so hard for it, and I think the the only way that I'll be able to get that feeling back is is probably through other people, like through my friends or or, or through players that I see that's that's fighting to try to make a team, that's trying to go to college or, or anything like that, so. I think as soon as I'm up to it, I would like to try to do something uh, with players. I don't know if it's a, a position or if it's legal to be a, a, some type of manager or maybe a marketer or something like that for players. Or maybe even uh, happen to decide. My, my brother's been a, a trainer. Uh, he trains a lot of NFL guys, and he trained me coming out, trained a, a lot of guys that are still playing right now in the NFL. So if I wanted to, whenever I'm ready, I could hop inside of that and maybe start training people. But I don't know if I want to get – if. My mindset right now probably won't allow me to get that close to football as far as being physical. But something I think I'll be able to add to, to players and, and people right now is helping them transition after football with some of the things that I've been going through right now inside of my life. And the, the best way I feel like they'll be able to transition after football is if they have a plan while they're playing football. So when you stop, it doesn't just smack you inside of your face and just thrown out there to the world. Because the truth of the matter is there's a lot of different uh, I guess like organizations and and things that help you transition after football, but there's really no guideline to it. And I think that uh, once I'm up to it, I try to get get a get a plan to uh, devise and everything. I would like to try to 
help players while they're playing right now to have a plan for after football, whether if it's maybe some in investments or just helping them find out exactly what it is that they like that they could transition right after uh, seamlessly. Yeah, I think I need to connect you with a future guest on the podcast, uh, Derek Furlow, who just wrote a book about the tra- transitioning to life after football. So did, is that how you felt when, when you kind of left the, the game? Was that you got like smacked in the face like and it wasn't like that seamless you know transition that you were trying to prevent others from or trying to ha- have help others get? Yes. Uh, the only difference I think with me is when I, I sat on IR for an entire year. So inside of that year, I I, I, I had a, a time to try to think about what is it that I want to do. And I'm still thinking because there's nothing concrete that I want to do. But I had a chance to sit there and, and gather my thoughts, uh, opposed to somebody who just gets uh, signed on a team, has been playing all through college, Little League and everything, and, and they get cut after the first week after they make the team or they get cut during camp. And those people, I'm sure, are just lost. I have a, a, a lot of friends with college degrees that – can't even find jobs and I don't think it's because of they can't find jobs because of not their education level because we all went to pretty good schools just that they don't know what exactly it is that they want to do and it's hard for them to try to find a job uh that's going to give them a, a the feeling that, that they feel of, of worth I I got chills just like by you saying that because like it really resonates with exactly how I felt throughout that whole process where I was trying to figure out like who I who am I without mm-hmm. football and it really wasn't until I kind of found I started the podcast where I started helping other people kind of like avoid the pain that I had felt, at least attempting mm-hmm. to avoid the pain of other people or the suffering of other people. And it's kind of like a creative outlet. Like I've heard a lot about people from the interviews I've done of like athletes in the arts and stuff like being creative, mm-hmm. like and with a purpose, you know, like whether it's music or painting or uh, singing or, you know, something mm-hmm. that's like a creative, like it, being an athlete, like you're, it's an art form in, in yeah. some degree. So, and I think it's hard for athletes to know that you have other skill sets outside of like hitting people, lifting heavy weights and like that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it takes a long time to like see the light and be yeah. like, I could focus this energy here and look what I can create. Yeah. And that's like, it, it's, it's, it's tough, man. And yeah. I, I appreciate you being like vulnerable enough to like talk about h- how you're feeling. Yes. Um, I'm kind of curious about, so you play with Eric Legrand. Yes. Eric Legrand was on the podcast, uh, episode. I, f- I forget like 53. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be 52 cause his number was 52, yeah. but I remember it didn't work out. So, um, Anyway, we'll we'll link the real one up in the show notes. But were you on the field when Eric got hurt? Yeah, I was. Uh, we was running down on kickoff, and I was probably a couple of guys away from him, and so I was right there exactly the the exact play that it happened. Did did that injury change the way that you played the game or thought about playing the game? Honestly, no. I mean, when it happened, it it happened so fast and. It was kind of hard because when it went down, you know Eric. You've been around and you've seen him. Eric was the strongest person on the, on the Rutgers team. He was big, over 270, and could run. How are you a defensive tackle that sometimes playing nose guard that's on kickoff and was the, one of the strongest people, if not the, at least pound for pound, the strongest person on the team. So the exact time that he got hit and was injured, I never thought that uh, it would be taking him this long, I guess, to, to, to get better. 
And so from then, I always thought he was going to get back up. And, and I still do. I pray for Eric every single day. I pray at least three times a day. And inside my prayer, I pray for Eric every single time. And I don't even talk to Eric like that much. But I pray for him every single day, at least three times a day. Because I always thought that he would get better. I thought, and I still do think he's going to get better. So at that time, I thought he was down, but that he was going to get back up and be able to play football again. So it didn't change the way I played because I, I wasn't, it was unfortunate, but I wasn't scared for him because I know inside of my heart that he was going to be fine. Yeah. So I didn't have a chance to sit back and say, dang, uh, it's going to uh, affect the way that I play or something like that. But I don't think, uh, for a lot of guys it probably did, uh, not probably, I know for a fact it, it did. But uh, And it, we put more emphasis on tackling and stuff like that, even though we did. So I guess it, it helped for people to be more technicians at, at tackling and and. Uh, I guess put inside your mind to understand the risk that you are taking playing football. But his injury didn't affect the way that I played because I knew how strong Eric was. And in my heart, at that moment, I thought he was going to be better the next day right. or the week after that. And I'm still optimistic that Eric is still going to walk again. So it, it didn't change uh, the way that I played. Cool, yeah. I think I think it was actually episode 47 now that I think about it. But when you said – there were some guys that you think it definitely had an effect on mm-hmm. how they played. Yeah. Uh, I mean, without naming names, like what specifically do you remember like seeing of guys like kind of changing their behavior? Uh, you could just see it field. inside a lot of people's eyes. Uh, some of the people that was always going in to make tackles was, was missing the tackles there, that they yeah. would always make. And just the way people were moving, no lies, shook up the building. Like yeah, that was that our brother. That's our brother. Too, yeah, didn't end too well. <laughs> yeah, so it shook up the building. Everybody was emotionally hurt from that, and so it was kind of hard to tell if it was emotions that was the reason why people were playing the way that they were playing. Because eventually, the same people that we're talking about, they ended up being better the next year and going on to to uh, other careers. But at that time, you could tell by the way people were tackling and I guess the aggression that they were playing with. Some people were definitely affected by it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I remember being a you know, just an outside person looking in, you know, mm-hmm. of the team and like the dynamics of the whole entire locker room like changed as yeah. soon as that injury happened. Or you could just tell like they it was deflating. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on Kingston playing football? Uh, I think it won't be something that I will want to push him to do. He I won't play football until probably like at least seventh grade, like at least contact football. Uh, at least so he's like probably like around like thirteen years old or, or so. I think yeah, the the research is showing that they're trying to like push like until high school, like yeah. wait for tackle till high school. Uh-huh. But and so if it's something that he would like to do, uh, then uh, I'll be all for it. I'll try to help him prepare to be the best that he can be. Oh, and but I'll want to educate him to to understand that if he's hurt, he's he's hurt, and to, to talk about it and, and to be able to share it, to be able to pr- uh, protect his future. But also just to put him aside, hopefully I, I, I do things right now that he's not into that it's just he plays just solely for competition and for the love of the game and that he has no other motivation like as far as uh, wanting to make money or something like that and not the game turns into a, a have to because uh, – a lot of people that 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 play the game in the NFL, a lot of, not a lot, but most, not to say most of the people, how about a percent? A lot of people play the game because of of money, because of a, a situation of not coming for money, not understanding money, and it's whatever sports or whatever you do, money runs the world or whatever. But so you put in this position like I have to play. If I don't play right now, how am I going to support my family? How am I going to do this? 
how we get into the to to transition him from an early age and know that you're going to play football, but that's not who you are. How me and you both felt like yeah. I'm, I am a football player. That's who I am. But to teach him that that's not who he is, and maybe that in the sense will uh, when he does play, if he does play, will take less pressure off of him. Uh, when he has a bad play, he doesn't get too down on himself or if he doesn't make it to the highest level that he wants to be at because he knows that's not who he is, but that's just it's just what he does. And so uh, if he wants to play, I'll be all for it, but uh, I'll want to educate him and, and put him in a position where if he's hurt, it'll be okay to be hurt because he knows football is, is, is not who he is. It's just what he does. Right. And I, I completely agree with that. Like I think there needs to be a time when it's okay to say that you're hurt, and I know like in the NFL, like in your situation, it's hard to say when you're hurt when – like your job is on the line mm. and like knowing that sitting out is probably going to, you're going to lose your job. Yeah. Um, you know, those pressures aside, I feel like at the lower levels when not as much as at stake, like you gotta, it's gotta be okay to, to say when you're hurt and not feel like a freaking sissy and get like yeah. ostracized by your team. I don't mm. know if ostracized is a good word. Or, mm. I'll have to look that <laughs> one up, but <laughs> sounded cool. Yeah. So how has the concussion affected your family life? Uh, the hardest thing about uh, this injury, well, obviously, was was playing with my son, being able to go out with him or going out with my wife. Uh, I do do things, but if I do go out and we do do whatever we do, it's a consequence that I have to pay for it. I could be out for the for the next couple of days. I may have to lay down for two two days, maybe even a whole week, and feel like I'm too weak to do anything. And uh, I guess just motivation to go out. And if she wants to go to the store or go to the movies or go do something like that. I always think about it. I have to force myself to want to do it because I know what I'm going to have to go through after that. Right. Or playing with my son at the park and doing stuff like that. But the hardest the hardest thing about this whole situation is it's hard for somebody to understand what you're going through. And so when I'm not feeling well and I keep telling my wife no or act like I don't want to do something, sometimes and I don't blame her for it, but she's like, oh, you always say you don't want to do nothing or something like that. It, it bothers me, but it doesn't too much because I, I do always say that, but she can't see or feel what I'm going through. And the simple fact that I can't see or feel, I don't have a broken leg or a broken hand or a shoulder or something. So this injury, you can't see the injury. So nobody really understands you and what you're going through. And that's the hardest thing about this is that having to, to suck it up and act like nothing is wrong around people. Not to say I want to be, I guess, in the pace of being vulnerable people ask me questions about how am I doing. I don't want that all the time. But the hardest thing is trying to hide it to be regular around people because you know that they won't understand because they can't see it, and that's just how the world is. Yeah. It's, it's definitely tough about being an invisible injury, but it also is like when you're playing, it's easy to hide, yeah. you know, which is part of the problem, I guess. Um, what injuries have you played with, like, throughout your career uh, I think that, my that were, like, most difficult? My senior year, I had like a uh, uh, a high ankle sprain uh, early inside the season, and usually you sit out for a little while. And uh, I had like my my leg all the way wrapped up, my my ankle all the way wrapped up, and I played. I didn't miss a game my uh, my senior year, and uh, so that's something I played through. I also like tore some ligaments inside my thumb my senior year as well too. Uh, in high school, I had a broken hand. Uh, just put a, a cast around it and I played through a broken hand. But other than that, I've been able to – I've been pretty, like, healthy other than, than this. Nothing's really had to sit me down. So for the guys that you've noticed when you were in the NFL, like the veterans who have played in the league for, like, five, 
10 years in some cases, like what do you think those guys do different that guys who only last a couple of years because of injury uh, do? Do you think it's like luck or do you think it's like uh, how they take care of themselves? There's a – I think it's a strong correlation with uh, how people take care of themselves. You see some of the veteran guys that's been around and you look at them you say, okay, that's why. They look like they're in tip-top shape. Uh, you see them in and out of the cold tubs, the the training room, uh, every single day. Like it's a consistent way of life for the things that they do. No matter what's going on, they're there early in the morning treating themselves. At the end of the day, you see them there treating themselves, and they're inside the building most of the time. And that's not everybody. It's only a select few people. But the select few people that that is, you see, for some reason, they're always healthy. And they've been able to play a, a, a long career. But there's other people that you don't see. Everybody just about takes care of themselves while they're inside the building. But some people don't. And so I guess maybe it could be genetics or, or whatever. It could be luck for some people. But I think it's something that you could really work towards. And the people that's really working towards being healthy are the people that's lasting long in the NFL. Okay. So you're saying like the guys who like once they leave the building, they're still taking care of themselves. Yeah. Like those people that's really investing into treating their job like a like it's their life and, and really like a, a what – Something to channel. One of the coaches to say something about like you don't put like a uh, regular gas into a, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. Right. Like they're always putting super premium gas inside their their bodies all throughout the all throughout twenty four hours of their of their day. And those are the people who are able to to stay the healthiest. And I'm talking about like hamstring injuries and, and little little things like that. Those people never right. get like bothered by like muscle type of, of injuries. Yeah, contact injuries aren't always as avoidable. Yeah. Um, but speaking of contact. Being a linebacker, like, that's a position where you're sticking your face in, into it, like, all the time. Yeah. So the fact that you got a concussion is probably not that surprising. Yeah. Do you think that certain techniques that you were taught led to, like, using your head? Or, like, is there a way to play linebacker and take your head out of it in, like, in, like a safer way? I mean, the, the staple of a linebacker is butt and press. Button that, press that's sticking your head into the your face, getting underneath the person, uh, sticking them in and in, and then pressing with your arms to, to get extension to be able to see where you're going. But I would think maybe if uh, to take it out, it's, it's a lot of linebackers I see who just strictly use their hands and they're, they're very good at it, like, yeah, and they just shed it and, and move. So I guess that's something, but. I think uh, so. The butt part is like you just sticking part, your face. Sticking like, your face. That's the part that's definitely not not good. Not good. But however, that's not something I think that somebody should. That's a technique that that you use, and you have to be able to use that sometimes inside some situations on the field. Why? Uh, just to be able to get separation. Some of those linemen are strong. If you don't give them a good jolt, you won't be able to just go in there with your arms and think you're going to be able to get some separation from them. They're going to grab you. You have to do something to get them off balance a little bit. So the butt part is getting them off balance because you're shocking them with the hit. And the press is how you're getting your extension to be able to, to get your space to be able to to, to move on and, and make the play. But I think it's just part of the game. And the sad thing about this is that that's why I wouldn't say it's an outrule football or something like that because everybody doesn't face these problems. There's a whole lot of guys. Like I said, there's a lot of people that are having concussions all the time on the field. But I also have friends and people I spoke to that never have headaches or never see stars and stuff like that. So – I don't. It's hard to. T- I don't know if it's something inside your body that that says you're more, I guess, uh, susceptible. If that's the word to getting a right. concussion, but I don't think everybody, anybody can get it. But some people, for some reason, can get it more than other people. 
right. that makes any type of sense. No, I know what you mean. And I think, like, the idea with, like, the button press thing, like, I'm – like, you're taught that, mm-hmm. like, at some point. And, like, although the explanation of it, like, makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, why you need to get separation, like, why it would be difficult to get away from a freaking 350-pound, like – yeah. mass of muscle who's trying to grab you mm-hmm. but to me that's a part of the game that like if you want to make the game safer like it's an easier way to get around that yeah. you know like you can make it safer by just like using your hands and not yeah. your head you might not be as effective on the field yeah but i mean if you want to take your head out of it that's probably yeah one Bro, way you, to do you've it. sit and you watch the game uh there's people that use their hands better and definitely Using your hands better will help you be able to be a better football player. And not just say safer, but it'll actually help you better succeed better if you use your hands. All the great linemen, defensive linemen, pass rushers, they're all great using their hands. They're not really getting in too many like physical headbutting situations where they're trying to bull rush. They're not trying to they're working half a man and they're using their hands. So I agree with you as well too. And and there are ways for that of I guess if you're a little bit quicker and, and things like that, you have a little bit uh, work on other things that you can get around the the button press type of, and you see it every day on Sunday on or Saturday when you watch the, the game. But yeah. I guess even a correlation with that, even the better football players are the ones that are using their hands. So I do agree with you. Are there any drills in particular that you did at practice that you thought like, why the hell are we doing this? Because like we're just smashing our faces into each other. I'm only thinking of like certain drills of like blitz pickup. Mm-hmm. Like when, I, when we were at Rutgers, I was like. There's no way this is good for them. Like, because, like you said, like, the technique is to, like, stick your face underneath their chin and then grab them. But I'm like, I don't know. It's like, how is this good for anyone? The good thing about uh, the little bit of time I spend in the field, they they take care of you as far as, like, you're not really hitting too much inside practice and stuff like that. They want you to be fresh because you have to perform on game day. Yeah, it takes a lot out of you. But, like, in – the blitz pickup is one of the dumbest things ever. When you sit and you look back at it, they the you go you you're five yards away and you're going to hit the person that you're going on offense is hitting defense, defense is hitting the offense, and you're hitting with your head, saying thinking it's supposed to wake you up. Dumb. <laughs> so that's definitely one. And you've seen it before. That's definitely yeah. one of all of the. Uh, if I get on Instagram or something. I watch like some of the stuff in Little League with these kids doing uh, tackling drills, standing up. 10 yards away from each other and running full speed hitting each other, that's completely dumb. Uh, especially you see the kids not even having no technique at all trying to hit. So worse than a concussion, they could face a spinal injury or something like that, people not being prepared properly. and But to get back on that, like uh, it's so many drills that are just dumb of uh, what people having to run full speed and have to hit somebody because technically – I guess a form tackle, you're not using your head to go tackle somebody. If you're using your head, usually to make a tackle, you're inside a bad position because you're, you're, you're not coached to – well, you should not be coached to, to use your your head to, to, to make a tackle. Right. Yeah, I'd like to see – I mean, just like, like we said before, like that's one thing that you could do yeah. to change the game and like make it way safer and yeah. it has like really nothing to do with the game. Yeah. Um, back to your post-concussion syndrome – so like when you have bad days, what what are the? Tr- I'm thinking more in terms of like emotionally. Like, mm-hmm. are there like triggers emotionally? Is it just watching ESPN, or and then like for the good days, like what makes a good day a good day? Like what kind of brings you up and? So the the bad days, it's like 
it's not even sometimes a trigger, and that's the thing. Because if it was a trigger, I would be able to to avoid it. But yes, thinking about football, watching football, sometimes it gets me like a little bit upset. But there's days I get worse than that. Sometimes I just wake up and I just feel super moody, irritable. I can't stand being around anybody. I get super frustrated with my son, my wife, or anybody that's around me. And I guess to cope with that, I had to go sit inside my car for a little while and find a way to get away. And those days I have, I feel like I have absolutely no control about how I'm going to get up and I'm going to feel sometimes or a certain point out of the day where I just feel like I can't take being around anybody. And there's no trigger behind that. And I don't know why that happens that way. Only thing that I could do is find a way to make sure it doesn't escalate into anything that I will be upset about later on, like yelling or, or cursing or, or something like that that will make, you know, that can make somebody feel feel how I'm feeling and I have to just get away. And as far as like good days, it's certain things like uh like being really just being around my, my, my kids, my nephews, my kid, my nephew, uh my family, sometimes those are they, they lift me up and they, they help me feel like better. But if I'm inside a bad state, I don't really think it's nobody that's gonna come and make me feel better because just talking to me is going to make me feel like I'm ready to explode. Just like irritable. Yes. Um, all right. What's your advice? We're starting to wrap up the interview mm-hmm. here. What's your advice to athletes who are going through the same thing that you're going through? Uh, my advice is just that uh, I would guess is just to let them know that you're not alone. Uh, don't give up hope on, on getting better because even though uh, – so far, the, the treatments and stuff that I've been doing haven't necessarily helped me to get to the point where I want to be at. But there's a million people or a lot of people that the treatments have helped to get them to the, the point where they want to be. And I'm still optimistic that someday I'm going to be uh, headache free and not have the floaty sensation and not have my emotions go through the roof off of just any little thing. And I know sooner or later, hopefully, I'm going to be better. But just to stay positive, because if, if you're not positive about it, you're not going to get better. Uh, try to do everything that you can to get better and do as much research as possible as you can. And really just as soon as you feel uh, any type of difference or, or any change inside of you, that you should stop, try to regroup and, and try to seek medical attention, rather from your, your trainer and let them know what's going on and to fight against that thing inside you that's telling you that, uh, you have to be tough. Uh, uh, fight against the fear of, of what people may think about you if you go and complain about about an injury, because to, to tell the God's honest truth, that at two o'clock p.m. or at, at at ten o'clock at night, when you're laying there and, and you have a, a headache that's pounding, and your head is hurting so bad that you could barely see, and you're laying on the floor just waiting for your pain to go away, that the people that you were scared to tell that you were were injured or uh to to mention anything about it, they're not gonna be nowhere to be found. And you're gonna be the one that's has that has to deal with those effects. So in any injury, do what's best for you because nobody knows your body how you know your body. And if uh if they brought you there to compete on their team, then they should never question the man that you are because they brought you there. So they have to screen you for integrity and stuff like that. So don't think it's a, a fault to your integrity by telling somebody that you're injured. Because I'm telling you from speaking from experience that if you're hurt and you have a chance to say something about it, there's nobody going to be there to, to protect you or to try to try to help you get through the things you're getting through. Dude, that was sick. So can you just list off like some of the 
things that you've been doing to try to get yourself better? Yeah, so I've uh, been doing uh, vision therapy, uh, something called functional neurology, uh, which is like a form of like vestibular type of, type of therapy and, and things like that, uh, counseling and cognitive therapy. Uh, right now I'm in the medication, but none of the medication has worked. I took probably like three or four different drugs that none of them provided any relief. But at the time I did something called, it was an IV cocktail, two sessions of it there for five days. And you go to the hospital for like five or six hours and uh, get an IV and they give you a whole bunch of different medications for five days in a row. And I did that uh, a total of two times. So 10 days in the hospital getting the medication, that was a, a waste of time because I didn't get any relief from that as well either. And now I'm in line to get, uh, I'm going to attempt to try to do Botox because people said Botox to help with with headaches and stuff like that. So uh, sometime next month, uh, I have an appointment to get Botox injections and see if that will do anything for me. Okay. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I – I don't want to put you in a bad spot here, but I've done a bunch of interviews with former NFL guys and, like, former pro athletes mm-hmm. who, are very, who are advocates for cannabis mm-hmm. use. And, like, I, I'm just thinking, like, Kyle Turley. Mm-hmm. Like, Kyle Turley is a guy who – struggled immensely like with concussions and the symptoms that he had mm-hmm. from his his brain injuries um from the NFL and he like cannabis like he credits cannabis for like saving his life mm-hmm. um and there's like legal forms of it with like CBD and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um i don't know i feel like it might be something you want to try Dude, uh, just I'm, to I'm see. definitely not opposed to it yeah i think sooner or later i'm i will i would like that to have the option to to do anything that, right that could help me out. i mean technically now in new jersey it's not legal mm-hmm. but in certain states it is and mm-hmm. the more i learn about it the more i realize like why the hell isn't this stuff like legal obviously yeah. like helps a lot of people so mm-hmm. um well khalil thanks a lot for sharing your your story and for being vulnerable and you know, making other people feel like they're not alone. And I I wish you the best of luck in your recovery and anything that I could do to help you, uh, whether it's making a connection with a doctor or anything like that, I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to do that. Um, but as we finish, uh, can you just give us what your personal definition of toughness is and maybe explain if that's kind of changed throughout or since the time you played football? Uh, definition of, of toughness would be uh i guess to have the 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 mental fortitude to get through the things that you don't want to get through and that could be uh as far as uh regular life just getting up every single day handling your responsibilities and your responsibilities being your family after you have a son you have a wife you have a, a obligation to them to to provide for them to make sure they're safe to provide security and sometimes there's going to be a lot of things you don't want to do, but to be able to get up and do the things that you don't want to do every day because you know it's something that you have to do. And a lot of people coward away and run, run away from their responsibilities because they're not mentally tough enough to, to continue to fight. And so I would that, that would be it, to do the things you don't want to do because you know it's going to make you better or, or make somebody else better. I like that. Yeah, I'm trying to redefine what toughness and masculinity is because mm-hmm. I feel like a big part of the severity of my injury was because like my definition of toughness at the time was like playing hurt, lifting the heaviest weight, scoring touchdowns. Like that to me was like tough, mm-hmm. you know, like when it really has nothing to do with toughness and like yeah. you're, you don't really control any of those things yeah. to, to some degree. Um, 
But thanks again, Khalil. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you.